Hi, everybody. It's uh, Steph. And I uh, appreciate you guys dropping by. It's funny, you know, I feel, I feel almost bad. Like, hey, these people who support the show. But let me lean on you further for your expertise. But uh, I think it's a useful exchange of ideas. I'm not too bad on crypto as a whole, Bitcoin in particular. But some of these other floaters, um, I don't want to say floaters, but some of these other coins, um, uh, to be honest, I'm not entirely sure what problem they're trying to solve, where their value add is. And one of the reasons why it's great to chat with you guys is, I, I mean, I'm sure there's some holders here, maybe even some hodlers here, but um, when you go to, let's say, somebody who's really keen on Ethereum, well, they're really keen on Ethereum, and they'll give you the sales job on Ethereum, which I appreciate, but I would like something a bit more neutral. So either people don't know about it, they know about it and don't like it, in which case you get the case against, they know about it and hold it, in which case you'll get the case for and I just would like some sort of more well-rounded um, ideas or, or approaches to these alternate coins. And also, I thought there was something interesting in the discussion about the, the text discussion about how um, is it uh, is it a good thing or a bad thing, economically speaking, or there even seem to be some morals floating around about investing in crypto at all. And I'd like to hear the case for or against that. You know, ethics are kind of. <laughs> something I'm, I'm sort of focused on. So I'm not sure who's here or who's feeling chatty, but uh, I certainly would be keen to, uh, if anybody wants to give me any, any kind of intro into any of these topics. In particular, uh, if, I mean, I understand Monero to some degree, uh, Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin Gold, a little bit, of course. Uh, but as far as some of the others, uh, Litecoin, Ethereum, Doge, uh, and other things, uh, it's been so long since I've looked into them that uh, even since I looked into Bitcoin, I got some corrections the other day. So if there's anybody who wants to bring up any of these kinds of topics, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear. Check, check. Uh, can you guys hear me okay? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I saw your message. You're asking about... Hey, welcome back. Photos. I recognize that voice. <laughs> nice to chat with you again. <laughs> hey, uh, thank you, Steph. Uh, if anyone, by the way, if anyone wants to, uh, like, ask me anything or reference me, you can just, uh, my name's Jared. So that's that. That works. Um, and again, please correct me if I if I go wrong. All right. So I I, I would like to give a quick crash course. And, sorry, Jared. Uh, could I? I'm um, just before you start. I'm sorry about that. Could you just say the word "who white" for me, please? Who awesome. white? Just kidding. Okay, go on. That's an inside joke. Inside joke. Okay, go on. <laughs> oh, no, I'm familiar. <laughs> um, all right. So. Quick crash course in uh, in Litecoin, uh, Ethereum, and Dogecoin. All right, so uh, Litecoin is a uh, uh, it, it's a, one of the earlier coins came after Bitcoin, and essentially what someone did was uh, they said, okay, while you're processing these Bitcoin transactions, which require this hardware and so on and so forth, there's also pieces of machinery that you're going to have to have, you know, in your computer or your server, whatever that uh, are going unused, that can be used to, to, uh, to mine this other cryptocurrency, all right? So for example, um, your, uh, your Bitcoin is being mined via doing these mathematical problems. And that's primarily on like a GPU or now it's, it's primarily done on what is called an ASIC, A-S-I-C. And what that means is it just means it's a piece of machinery that's made for processing Crack, you know, cracking that mathematical code, uh, and I try, I'm trying to avoid getting into too much, uh, too too many obscure topics on that. So, that's about asynchronous by chance. I'm sorry. 
It's the it's the acronym AS. The part of it is it asynchronous by chance? Just geeking out a tad here. I, I'm not sure myself what the acronym breaks down to or for. Doesn't matter. No, I'm just curious. Yeah. Um. And, and so uh, those are basically you can look up. They're called Bitcoin miners, and they're they're ASIC miners. Another way to reference them. Uh, all right. So uh, basically, someone made uh, Litecoin. So that okay, well, while you're processing these Bitcoin, while you're processing Bitcoin transactions, what's what's called mining, um, you can also be mining this Litecoin as well, you know. And so it's like it costs you nothing. You're already running the hardware, and I, I forget what part of the machinery Litecoin is using. I, it may be the CPU, it could be the RAM. I'm not quite sure, but it's it's just another part of the machine. And so RAM can't. Was, sorry, sorry, just to interrupt. RAM can't process. It's only for storage. So I'm going to guess, unless there's some funky little math coprocessor down there, which would probably be hooked in if it could be to Bitcoin, I assume it's just because, it, it, you know, if you play a video game, your GPU can be operating at 100%, but your CPU might only be idling at like 20 or 40%. So there could be some CPU cycles left over while you're grinding through the GPU stuff. That's my guess. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, thank, thank you for the correction. Um, so that's that's Litecoin in a nutshell. And another, one of the arguments for Litecoin has been like, you know, if Bitcoin's gold, Litecoin's the silver. And we use Litecoin as more of an experimental test chain. You know, so that's that's essentially what Litecoin is and how it's come about. It doesn't seem to be too uh, too, too innovative. I, I, I'm getting into opinion, but I'll, I'll just. Yeah. So that's just uh, that's Litecoin in a nutshell. OK, so Dogecoin is. Sorry to interrupt. So the technicals I get. But in terms of the valuation, right, there are about a billion cryptos out there. We're talking about these because they have some valuation. So what's the business case side or, or the use case side for Litecoin? The use case side for Litecoin is, okay, we can use it as a test chain to run uh, anything we're thinking of developing on Bitcoin. Well, we can do it on Litecoin, you know, at a lower risk, you know, and Litecoin is used in the marketplace and it's got a high, it's got a valuation. So there's the economic incentive to attack founder like sold off a big portion of uh his his litecoin and i haven't been following it personally to see what goes on from there but it's you know if, if i were doing a crypto hedge fund i'd have a little bit in there just purely on my perspective because it, it does have market recognition and you know that's about it you know it's got market recognition people know about it people use it it is one of the quote-unquote blue chips but anywhere you know? near the coffee and donut scenario that i talked about last time which bitcoin is entirely unsuited for um you know i i don't read i don't know why it's never been touted as more of, of solving that role that is one argument for for its place in the economy but i just it doesn't seem to come up because usually when that comes up uh people in the bitcoin core community don't say like oh we'll just use litecoin they say oh no go use uh the, the lightning network you know which the the uh the joking meme about the lightning network is kind of like oh yeah it'll be done in six months which it, you know folks have been saying for several years you know? <laughs> so the lightning network is the coffee and donuts purchase scenario for bitcoin yes and, and to be fair the lightning network is technically usable but it, it's okay sorry i accidentally muted myself it requires a bit of technical know-how to use the lightning network it can get a little bit complicated it just hasn't got well, I, I come from the software field i know what technically usable means <laughs> I know exactly yes. what that means. It means if, if you've seen daylight in six months, good luck using it, right? It, uh, kind of. It, it's about there. <laughs> right. 
Um, okay, so so, but Litecoin. I mean, do, do the transactions settle faster? I mean, so you know, you've seen an egg race, right? Uh, and uh, an egg race is you know the kids with the spoons and the eggs and all that. And uh, to me, uh, Bitcoin is like an eighteen wheeler. Like if you've got a hole, a hundred thousand eggs, that's your thing, man. You got a, an egg race, eighteen wheeler ain't going to do you much good. I'm going to tap the crowdsource here because I don't know the exact detail. If someone could chime in, like just like look for Lightning Coin's uh, resolve time, that'd be awesome. Uh, as, as far as, as Lightning Coin, because we got hang on, oh, sorry. sorry, we got Lightning sorry. Network, Litecoin. <laughs> I misspoke. Litecoin. Litecoin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because again, the the coffee and donut scenario is is something to to get Main Street adoption. That's something that's kind of important. I mean, the fact is, everyone, of course, has a, a CPU and a GPU in their pocket on their cell phone. Uh, so yep. it's pretty pretty wild that I mean, and crypto and cell phones, of course, are pretty pretty wedded at the hip. You really couldn't have one at least um, on the coffee and donut scenario. You couldn't have one without the other, but. Uh, yeah, so is anybody here who knows Litecoin? Um, yeah, uh, I, in terms I of its execution. On that yeah, one. please go ahead. Thank you. Yeah, so um, Litecoin, its uh, block time is about two minutes and 30 seconds, whereas Bitcoin is 10 minutes. So it does make it easier for uh, you know the, the donuts and coffee types of transactions. Uh, and it has a you know relatively high transaction per, sec per second compared to some other things. But I think the reason why it never really picked up as a uh, uh, as a you know usable currency is um, I don't think they have the community to go out and push it to uh, to a lot of these you know uh, stores and retailers to utilize it. Um, you know a lot of that community is still really behind the Bitcoin side of things, and they've been pushing for uh, Lightning Network as the um, as the true uh, uh, payment processor um, in this regard. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, and, and I don't mean to to tell you anything that, that you could explain better, but the way I sort of look at it is, is the WAS jobs continuum? Like, so every technical innovation, you need your Wozniak, like the technical genius, and then you need the jobs, who's the marketing genius, the marketing design genius. And uh, that's uh, that's what I look for in a particular crypto, is do you have an evangelist as well as the technical brilliance behind it? And uh, it seems to me that Litecoin uh, has the technical brilliance, but I don't see the marketing jetpack. And then, uh, unfortunately, it's a it's a cave painting somewhere under the earth. It's like it's beautiful, man, but nobody knows where it is, and no one can see it. I, I got something to to add onto that mix as well. Litecoin. Go ahead. Thanks. Uh, so, uh, Litecoin is also a bit faster um, than Bitcoin in general because. Uh, no one's really using that road. So, of course, you're able to drive as fast as you can, to use that analogy. And uh, part of the reason why I don't think a lot of people are able to hop on the, uh, the Litecoin train as well is because, as Jared had mentioned earlier, uh, Litecoin uses a, a memory hard problem, whereas Bitcoin uses a, a processor in intensive. Uh, algorithm so memory intensive uh, coins and networks won't have the same hash rate which is the way you calculate the speed of a network as uh, as coins and or networks that use uh, their CPU intensive problems because those networks just don't scale as easily because you need bigger buffers and different 
lots of other things falling down the chain, as you know, you're you're a tech guy. In order to okay, let me let me just see if I can translate this into something that 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 I can fathom. <laughs> Sorry, if you all can. right, all right. So, <laughs> Go ahead. so uh, if you've got a a GPU or a CPU process, then mm -hmm. you've got Moore's law, which is going to double. CPU time or GPU time every 18 months. So it's much more scalable. But memory, while it certainly does get faster, I don't think memory gets faster at the same rate as Moore's law. And so it's not going to be quite as scalable. And again, so Litecoin as well, of course, if it's got fewer transactions, it's going to seem faster. But again, if the coffee and donut scenario or paying for a tall scenario comes up, then it, it, it could conceivably be overwhelmed. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. As soon as the same amount of people jump onto Litecoin, it wouldn't be as fast because the transaction just can't get up to the same speed. Right. And so if the architecture is based on memory, the more people who get involved in it, the less scalable it is, the more bottlenecks you're going to result in. And therefore, does that give it a bit of a niche? And just by the way, sorry, I forgot to mention this at the beginning. None of this is investment advice. Nobody's saying buying or sell anything. We're just talking architecture and, and general philosophy of, of uh, alternative coins. So don't don't buy or sell anything based on what anyone says here. But is, is that sort of the concern, that it's based upon an architecture uh, that's at least what I would call RAM-based rather than CPU, GPU-based or processor-based? And therefore, uh, it's just, uh, it's like it's like pushing a waterbed. You know, it's just a big bag of slow. <laughs> well, well, it does get some benefits from it being a memory hard problem. For instance, as Jared had mentioned earlier, um, it, it makes it a bit more resistant to the application-specific hardware. Uh, so it's it's slower to mine so people can't just quickly accumulate it but again that's that double-edged sword which means the network can't ever be as fast as bitcoin could. well everybody who wants a benefit without a cost is living in a fantasy land of socialism right so uh, i <laughs> i get all of that and do you know i don't want to you know like diss on anyone in particular but i do remember the story where uh, the guy who who was foundational to litecoin uh, dumped all of us do you know anything about the backstory of that of that transaction I do not go ahead if anyone else knows that one. I can share like the bit that I do know. Um, uh, his, and this, is, this is pure gossip, not even economics, just so everyone yeah, knows. So. Yeah. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Yeah. He, uh, he's a public figure. And um, so I'm going to mention his name. And I don't think it's you know any kind of doxing or anything like that. His name is uh, Charlie Lee. And um, actually worked with him for a little bit at Coinbase. I never interacted with him. I think he may have left by the time I got there, but he had worked for Coinbase uh, for a little bit, which is one of the most popular uh, crypto exchanges uh, in the US. And um, just, I, I, I don't know, I can't argue so much like the, the truth of the situation, but again, I can share the rumor mill. So take everything with a grain of salt. Uh, essentially like Litecoin got incredibly high. He had a lot of it and he sold an overwhelming majority of his, you know, share in Litecoin. Um, he's been a big uh, Bitcoin uh, core evangelist for a long time, and uh, that's that's a, that's about it. That's what I know. Like he uh, just he made an obscene amount of money, sold it at the top, and you know, I mean, like I don't personally don't take any moral qualms with that, you know. It, but uh, that's, well, no, that's it's, not, it's not a moral thing. It's it's not a moral. I mean, it's not a moral thing. He could buy and sell whatever he wants. I suppose the issue is um, everybody who's involved in something groundbreaking and important veers between it's a calling or it's a gig, right? That's it's a, it's a calling or it's a it's a gig. And you know, the calling would be Live Aid. The gig would be you know playing a wedding, right? And so, I guess with the Litecoin thing, the issue is that if the founder 
uh, sells a whole bunch of his shares, uh, then it's good for him. Obviously, makes a lot of money, but it does signal a lack of faith in the growth potential of, like, you know, he may have made his money, and I think then the concern is that it kind of crippled the um, the perception of the growth potential of of, of Litecoin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Once the founder kind of bails, it's like, uh, do I do I still want to be here? <laughs> And uh, as far as um, application of the coin goes, is it uh, mostly, uh, is it used for paying people, online transactions? Is there anything on a phone uh, and, and any retail applications or is it still may remain mostly digital? Uh, uh, yeah, well, certainly uh, there's wallets that will hold like any number of coins. And it's it's uh, very trivial that for them these days to add service for these coins and more coins. And so, yeah, you've got, there's countless uh, wallets that can be used. And a wallet is is a program for managing your cryptocurrencies, just to clarify that. Um, so yeah, there's countless uh, applications to use Litecoin on your phone. Uh, and, uh, but- I get that, I understand the, I, sorry, I understand the push side of things. I'm just in terms of, okay, so I've got a phone with a Litecoin wallet and I'm wandering around a mall. I know you can't do much with Bitcoin either at the moment. That's probably not a great example, but uh, is there uh, a place where you could hire a, a, a graphics designer for Litecoin or or like where, where is the where is the other side of the transaction other than holding it, but spending it? Yeah, how much is it, is it actually used in the marketplace? I. Don't believe very well. I would assume anywhere that there is uh, that there. If someone accepts Litecoin, I also expect them to accept a wide number of other cryptocurrencies. Um, and this, um, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, I, but that that makes perfect sense to me because it's not like it's a huge amount of hassle uh, to to accept more than one. So okay, so but there are places yeah. where you can spend it, and it does have a circulation. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true, and, and the the main uh, investment or the main value means of Litecoin at this point, as just from my witnessing, I could be absolutely wrong, is just a speculation. Now, is it speculation where there's a momentum, or is it just people looking at graphs saying, "Oh, it's gone down for a while; it could go up," or, or is there uh, part of a general evangelistic, you know, because you you need the insane, dedicated nut jobs and i say this with great love and affection having been one myself with <laughs> philosophy right um but you need the insane nut jobs who are just going to be out there 24 7 living breathing and and propagating this stuff and um is is there that momentum i mean again i'm not asking everyone to be a total expert that would sort of be my next question is okay technology's there there's a market cap there's a buyers and sellers market that's great but in terms of the general blur you've got the king kong of of bitcoin and uh, you know you got these little <laughs> biplanes flying around Bit uh, Bitcoin. Um, is there anyone who's like uh, Litecoin is is the greatest? It's the best. Uh, I'm gonna name my child Litecoin. I I've got it tattooed <laughs> on my forehead. Uh, I live, eat, and breathe like like you need those kinds of people in order to have the uh, architecture grow or or the, or the crypto go. And, and there certainly were, of course, the the Bitcoin gurus early on. I had a lot of them on my show back in the day. Oh, by the way, I just read this little article about how, I'm sure you guys know this story, but uh, do you remember the 10,000 Bitcoin pizza? Anybody remember this story? Oh, some yeah. Guy, some guy spent uh, 10,000 Bitcoins for a couple of pizzas back in 2013 or whatever, now $400 million. And no, there was the other guy who, <laughs> the other guy who uh, lost $240 million worth of Bitcoins because he had them in one of those secure wallets that only gave you 10 <laughs> password attempts. And he... Uh, he tried everything he knew, but uh, no luck. So, 
That's rough, man. That's that's tough to get up and go to work when you've got that sitting in a drawer, right? <laughs> bye bye. Oh. Anyway, oh. Uh, but you go. Well, a lot of people have stories of of uh, crypto that's uh, gone to the wind. <laughs> it's gone to the dust. Yeah. Anyway, so um, so with Litecoin, is is there uh, like an insane individual slash group of individuals that that are, are pushing it, or is it just a, is it like a follow the graph kind of thing? Uh, my opinion is that it, it's like it, at the very least a Pareto distribution of the majority uh, chasing the graph. Your okay. opinion? Yeah, no, of course. Yeah, I mean, we, I mean, and and I'm sure I'm going to get emails from someone who's like, I eat, live, and breathe Litecoin. In which case, <laughs> you know, dude, come on the show, like, make the case. I, I mean, I think that's the the more the merrier, right? But I do get the sense that unless you have a particular, you know, I hate to say it's sort of fetish, like that's a bad thing, but you know, if you're really that good at evangelizing, you'd probably go to Bitcoin or or at least Bitcoin Cash if you were that good at it. But again, you know, um, I. I loved the Atari computers, even though they were the underdogs, uh, the uh, the home computers, uh, just because that was my particular, that was my first real computing environment. And I just loved those computers and I was willing to evangelize them past all sanity until uh, <laughs> it was cheaper to get an entire computer than one hard drive for an Atari environment. But anyway, so, okay, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's sort of what I wanted to know in terms of future growth is that uh, I assume the technology is great. I just assume the technology is great in general for these things. But um, it's the, the Woz side, the Wozniak side, I, I think is covered, but it's the Steve Jobs side that is where the real value add is. And that's kind of frustrating, right? Um, because a lot of people are like, well, I have the greatest technology. It's like, mm, yeah, that's that's really cool. But um, if nobody uses it, it's not great. <laughs> but technically, yeah. it's great. It's like, yeah, but it's utility in these things. And if the utility is not there, the technology doesn't really matter. So, okay. Well, yeah. Uh, and, sorry, go ahead. And, as you're trying to sell someone on, on using a thing, there's a, uh, I don't mean this in any way of disparaging to others, but there's kind of like, it takes an IQ level to explain the value of something very technical and complicated that you'll realize the value of longer down the road or having to make more uh, economic arguments to, to convince others of its value versus like, oh, no, this will practically in your life today, right now, make life so much easier. Yeah. And here's how, you know. Well, and you so you'd have to know the Bitcoin standard well enough to know it, know its weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, if you know that Bitcoin standard well enough, you probably have a bunch and don't need to work that hard. Like, that's a problem. Like the people who know crypto uh, and could evangelize are probably... Um, well, they, it's, a, it's the old question, like, what do you do when you get some money? Um, a lot of people are just like, woohoo, <laughs> you know, like they don't want to be that 24-7 evangelist anymore. Uh, was it Antoine Antonopoulos? Uh, I think he ended up, he was a Bitcoin evangelist I had on the show, but I think he ended up not really having any, uh, which was kind of kind of tragic. But anyway, so, okay, so that... Well, uh, um, actually, sorry, I'd like to, I, I want to add on that, because Antonopoulos... Uh, who, you know, and, and he's done a lot of evangelizing for Bitcoin in the past. It like, came on the show and was really helpful. Unfortunately, seems like he's, you know, one of those woke people now. But uh, but on the on the topic of um, the uh, that him not having Bitcoin, when the Bitcoin community found out that he didn't, didn't have any or had very little, they were so appalled that everyone donated enough Bitcoin to him to where he made, he was at least a millionaire post that yes, people find that hear. out. Yeah, that's good to hear. Yeah. Well, and better now, even right. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So, um, so is, does anybody have anything that they wanted to add 
uh, to Litecoin. And just obviously remember, this is totally exploratory. There's nothing definitive. We're just, you know, men and, and women sitting around chew, chewing the fat. I just, because I don't want anyone to think this is something definitive about Litecoin. It's all just opinions, right? But if anybody has anything to add about it, that would be great. Uh, it's not specific to Litecoin, but I wanted to give some context around the coffee and donuts example. So Context. Um, Hang on. Let me just write this down. Okay. February 3rd, 2021. Free Domain Radio. Gets context. Achieved, achieved yeah. context. Oh, I, you know what? I even write that hand. I, I write that word. My hand bursts into flames. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. All right. So um, this is like two years ago, but basically, so if you look at Visa, right, you know, basically a lot of, we do a lot of transactions with Visa every year. And that company says they can handle 56,000 transactions per second. Um, PayPal in 2015. Wait, in what Cyber geographical Monday, region? Sorry. In what geographical region? The, the whole company. So that's the world. Oh, so in the world, they can do 56,000 transactions a second, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, even though there's a lot of people in the world, that's a lot of transactions. Not all, everything's happening at the same time. So PayPal... And if your transaction takes two seconds as opposed to one second, it's usually not a big deal, even if it's five or 10 seconds. It's just like everybody's had that, you know, processing, processing, and then, right, you get the confirmation or whatever. So it's not too bad. Exactly. Yeah. You might even be just waiting on network latency and all those other things that just take a little while. Um, but PayPal in 2015 took 450 transactions per second on Cyber Monday. Um, they don't actually, they haven't disclosed how many they could actually, you know, handle. But, you know, you have to step pretty far down. Well, certainly, uh, they certainly time. helped me take some of the burden off their transaction uh, handling uh, as, as a whole. It, <laughs> yeah, Sorry, yeah just a little bit there. <laughs> but, um, I mean, even if you look at Bitcoin and Ethereum, they're both too slow. If you were to say, like, one of these technologies is going to basically replace Visa. N neither Bitcoin or, or Ethereum are the ones that are going to do that. So I think there is space for a third one that can, you know, kind of approach maybe Visa or PayPal in terms of the number of transactions. And that's, that's when you're really going to get kind of a coffee and donuts type situation actually happening. But here's, okay, so I mean, I think the driver for that is this constant deplatforming which at some point is, is almost certain to go financial, right? Uh, so the constant deplatforming is, is going to open up uh, a sort of second economy of, of blockchains. But of course, the problem, and you know, please jump in because I'm like right at the edge of knowledge of both environments. But the problem, of course, is that Visa is simply processing within their own servers. They don't need a public blockchain. They don't need to update everyone else. They don't need all these confirmations, right? So they're just... Wham, bam, you know, here's your, here's your coffee and donuts, here's your three bucks, boom, it's in our database, uh, and, and there's nothing public, nothing confirmed. I mean, obviously, you have confirmations within the database and all of that, but that's handled at a local level, like Oracle, SQL Server, something like that. So that, that is the challenge, right, that you've got this public blockchain, you have all these confirmations, all this processing that's required outside the actual transaction in order to confirm the transaction, and... That's just not scalable, which I think is one of the issues that's going on with Bitcoin at the moment. And I, you know, that's my question is, okay, but well, how can you make that scalable? If you need a public blockchain, how on earth could you possibly end up competing with, uh, with Visa but doesn't have the requirement? Well, Ripple and Stellar can both do more than 1,000 transactions per second. So I don't think you need to replace So tell me Visa. more. <laughs> tell me more if you can uh, about, about how this stuff works. So Ripple and Stellar, right? Yeah, okay. um, and Stellar I'm, I'm is a fork of Ripple. 
Um, the Ripple team claims that you know they'll be able to hit fifty thousand transactions per second. So I I think if if I was to place bets on which ones are going to be, you know, I think there's a space for Bitcoin being the gold. I think there's a um, space for Ethereum to be the silver. And I think there's a space for a third to basically be like the cash alternative or the fiat. Um, and I think it's going to be the one that can handle the transactions per second. But I don't know. It's, and, and this is particularly true in the realm of, of COVID. Like, you know, if my, every now and then, you know, uh, I'm in a store and my daughter is like, oh, I'd like something. You know, and it, let's say it's uh, it's COVID time, right? Oh, I forgot something. You know, it's like, and I'm like, I, I hate putting a buck or two on Visa. I, I hate it <laughs> because it just it feels like such a ridiculous level of overhead. Very expensive for the store, expensive for everyone, and just seem. But now, of course, stores don't take cash. To a lot of them, anyway, or they prefer uh, some sort of credit because of the concern that that COVID is going to be spread through through cash. So when I was younger, you would use your credit card for larger purchases, you know, sort of like a two-person dinner and up, but you wouldn't use it at, uh, at McDonald's. You wouldn't use it for coffee and donuts in general, right? And, and often there were restrictions on those things, like a $10 minimum. You can still see that some of that in like convenience stores and places like that. But as, of course, I mean, the government prefers things to be uh, on, uh, like they prefer it to be digital because they can track it more easily. I mean, in terms of Visa and Interact and so on. And there is, of course, a big demand for that from the people who want to try and keep their clerks safe from the perception or the reality that you can transfer COVID on, on cash and all of that. So uh, there is going to be a big demand and driver that Visa is going to be able to scale to handle pretty well. But, but of course, the transaction fees for Visa remain constant to a large degree, regardless of the size of the transaction, right? So... You know, the penny candy on a Visa thing is like they still got a big, big overhead. And the smaller the transaction in terms of the monetary value and the lower the overhead, I do see that as something that could potentially do that. It's just everyone has a Visa and it works. But, you know, uh, we saw with Laura Luma, she got deplatformed from a bunch of places and uh, uh, the finances became a challenge. And if that process continues, then there will be a huge demand for... Um, the coffee and donuts uh, uh, scenario with with crypto. Yeah, and the the cryptos that can best handle that case, I think, are the ones that are most likely to, you know, get adopted by like a Visa or like a you know, PayPal or Stripe or those payment processors. Where yes, those individual payment processors might deplatform people, but they can't deplatform the decentralized network. Right. So. so you just you just came up with something very interesting there that I, I just wanted to back up on. Not that what you were saying before wasn't interesting, but this is a particular fascinating part for me, which is you're saying so like Visa and, and PayPal and other places will start to interact with with crypto, right? Now that's not exactly what I mean by avoiding the deplatforming, right? Because you can be deplatformed from PayPal as I know and and so on. So the question is if financial deplatforming becomes more of a thing, which it seems kind of, you know, could, could be, right? Which crypto is going to be able to replace Visa? And I don't think that's Bitcoin, uh, which has its great value. And I, I love Bitcoin, as you know. But you're saying in sort of the Ripple world, um, or Stellar was the other one, right? That, that there's a possibility that these could be more self-contained because then the moment you start to overlap on places like PayPal and Visa, then you're in the potential deplatforming scenario again, right? Exactly. But 
it, what, what's needed is the one that can keep up with the transaction volume, right? So, right. you know, it's easy for Visa because like you said, it's just they're moving stuff around in their own servers, right? Same thing with PayPal. But to do the decentralized kind of blockchain thing, that's what means you can't deplatform it, right? I can hold that. I can move it around. I can give it to somebody directly. Um, or, you know, potentially you could work with these payment processors where they basically handle that last mile where it's going to the retailer. Well, and the only way that would be undeplatformable would be if the payment processors were willing to process things without identifiable information, right? Like here's a wallet, here's a transaction code, here's a transfer of some crypto. I don't care who it's coming from. I don't care who it's going to. Uh, then you would be in a situation. So any payment processor that would be willing to handle anonymous type crypto transactions would be um, beyond the pale of deplatforming, uh, if as far as I understand it. But then, of course, you know, you know, the usual thing would happen: some criminals would start to use it, and then there'd be all these requirements for identification and and all that kind of stuff. And and usually that's how they kind of nip that one in yeah. the bud. Basically, the the way they choke you off is where you exchange like you know dollars or Canadian dollars or whatever for the currency. That's where they choke you off. But if you just owned right. that particular crypto and you mined it or whatever, you know, you could spend that with somebody who's accepting that and, you know, they can't deplatform you from that. Right, 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 right. Okay. So, and again, unless there's some parallel place, um, maybe even offshore that, that would be willing to do those kinds of exchanges because, you know, still got to pay your taxes and... Although I think is it is it in Miami? I think Miami is the the um, mayor of Miami is a very forward looking guy. Uh, Florida is kind of like a little slice of American penis paradise, so to speak, geographically speaking. But uh, I think the the mayor of Miami is looking to uh, allow employees to be paid in crypto, allow taxes to be paid in crypto. Like he's like Wyoming is trying to become a crypto haven uh, for um, companies and investors and so on, and. Miami, I think, is trying to to at least allow some government business to be transacted through crypto, which, man, that's something else, man, because if you can start to transact your business with the government through crypto, uh, that's pretty wild because that's what a lot of people need their fiat for, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, but if you listen to, like, Jeanette Yellen, uh, I don't think that's happening anytime soon. <laughs> she seems pretty adamant that, uh, you know, these cryptos are her competition, which it's true. They are. I don't know. I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, the, the, the relationship between fiat and crypto is uh, more complicated than, you know, my relationship with my mom was. So uh, we'll go into that uh, perhaps a little bit later. Uh, just for those of you who don't know the fork concept, right? I mean, the hard fork and the soft fork. I wonder if, because you mentioned earlier that Ripple, was it Ripple was a fork from Stella or was it the other way around? Uh, the other way around. Yeah. Okay. So Stella was a ripple from Fork. So, uh, sorry, it was a Fork from Ripple. So could you just explain? Uh, I'm, I'm always happy to hear, hear it again, but if you could just explain this whole Fork concept for people. Sure. So basically it works based on consensus, right? So just like, you know, if somebody's running Windows 7 and someone's running Windows 10, the way most of these networks work is you have a certain number of miners running a version of a client. And in order for that to get... Um, you know, accepted or changes to be propagated to the network, a certain percentage of the people on the network have to take that new version of a client. So if they don't, um, what can happen is a fork. So I don't know, anyone who's been holding like Bitcoin, even a little bit over the last couple of years has probably seen this in like Coinbase where, you know, they're holding Bitcoin 
And then there's a fork on that network. And now you've got like Bitcoin Cash or some other uh, crypto that you basically just ended up with because you, you know, the, the network just decided to go two ways. So now you're holding two pieces of these different assets that are, you know, one half of the network, this is Bitcoin. The other half of the network is now something else. So that's how those, um, those forks work. And um, usually they're a pretty good thing. Right, I mean, yeah. if you if you had you know ten bitcoins uh, during the fork, then you could get you could end up with ten bitcoins and ten bitcoin cash. So it's like woohoo, right? So uh, usually it's a it's a pretty good thing. And of course, if it's not a good thing, then people don't adopt it, and it doesn't it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, it's it's basically it's democratized, right? So it's like you know you, you don't have that uh, same ability with fiat, right? If they just decide to change the value overnight, they can do that. Um, but with these, if you don't it take that, all of your Currency, yeah. right? Doesn't just affect the new stuff, right? Exactly. Now, a hard and a soft fork. I don't know enough to add details around that. Okay. Uh, does anybody else uh, know a good? I'm not. I wouldn't be able to explain too well the difference between a hard and a soft fork in a crypto. It's. We will. Uh, I, I will look this so, up. Oh, sorry. You got something? Uh, Go for it. Well, yeah. So, uh, in a nutshell, a hard fork versus a soft fork is. Um, where the where the uh, they're pushing out a change to the network that will uh, irrevocably uh, split the network if people don't adopt it, and a soft fork. Let's see, I'm going to Google that myself. A soft fork. Mm -mm. So you will open up. Duck, it's, a, Duck, it's a change. Yeah, DuckDuckGo. Thank you. Yep. A software is a change to the software protocol where only previously valid block transactions are made invalid. A software is a change to the software protocol where only previously valid blockchain blocks and transactions are made invalid. Going forward, they're compatible with both. Is that right? A hard fork, as it relates to blockchain technology, is a radical change to a network's protocol that makes previously invalid blocks uh, and transactions valid or vice versa. A hard fork requires all nodes or users to upgrade to the latest version of the protocol software. Forks may Got be <clears throat> initiated by developers or members of a crypto community who grow dissatisfied with functionalities offered by existing blockchain implementations. One, you can continue to use it. Um... In, in both scenarios, another one, uh, you can't. You have to do yeah. the upgrade, right? Okay. That, that's the okay. way it sounds to me. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Okay. I'm sure I'll get a bunch of emails about that. So I appreciate those emails too. <laughs> so please you know, keep them coming and explain it to me. Okay. So um, now uh, back to our, our good Stella Ripple friend. If you, if you know anything about the community as a whole, do you have the humanoid facing evangelists that are? keen to not just have great technology but get it out to people um i i wouldn't say that it has that same kind of cachet right because the mainstream media has picked up on bitcoin obviously and ethereum um i i don't feel like there's that same kind of push um for Ripple. oh it wouldn't come from the mainstream media it would be yeah. from somebody um uh, I'll tell you. I'll tell you a tiny story here, right? So this is something that I remember reading about very early on in my software career. 
And it's really, it was a life-changing, tiny story for me. So hopefully it'll be, whether you need to do it or not, but it's important to know this, this way the technology works. So if I remember rightly, and I'm probably paraphrasing like crazy here, but this is the essence of the story. The guy who invented Ethernet, right, as a standard of transmission of data over a usually wired network, right? So the guy who invented Ethernet, he made a fortune off Ethernet and... He ended up teaching at a university, I think, and he would have his students over for uh, dinner, and, and they'd talk tech and all that kind of stuff. That's a really charming evening and all that. So anyway, one night, he's living in this big, beautiful mansion, and he invites all these students over, and the student, one guy comes in and says, oh, my God, this place is incredible. Look at the size of these ceilings. This is like, this is a palace. Man, <laughs> man, I wish I'd invented Ethernet. And the guy stopped him and said, no, 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 don't think like that. That's not, that's not the case at all. Look, I didn't get this mansion because I invented Ethernet. There were tons of people who had network protocols, tons of people. Some of them are better. Some of them are worse. I didn't get this because I invented something. That's a typical technical thinking. Look, I've got the best bleh, widget thing, algorithm, whatever, right? He said, no, I got this mansion because... I worked for years. I was on the road. I presented at conferences. I exhorted people to take it. I wrote white papers. I had tests done. The invention was 1% of this mansion. The other 99% was getting it in front of people, convincing them to take it. And once I got that momentum going, then it became a whole lot easier. You know, like figuring out the first, the width of the first set of train tracks is one thing. It's pretty, pretty pretty tough to figure that out but once you've got half the tracks laid with that width of train track it's pretty easy to figure out the width of the rest because they've all got to connect the trains all going to go on the same thing right so the typical technical thing is to say oh look i invented <laughs> you know this that or the other right and you think that that's going to get you the mansion it doesn't it doesn't because you have to get it in front of people and that's by far the majority of the work like i've said about the beginning of this show that i spent the vast majority of my time promoting what it is that I was doing, because I remembered that story. And so when I hear great technology, I mean, part of me is like, cool, like the propeller head part of me is, it, hey, that's great, right? And I would go through these cycles. When I was in the business world, I would do, you know, a couple of months of, uh, of a hardcore R&D, total propeller head coding the greatest things since sliced bread. And then after a couple of months of doing that, which I'd sort of do four days a week, and then I'd spend a week in the office, and then we would have this great new software, and then I would spend about a year, sometimes less, sometimes a little more, I would spend about a year going to trade shows, doing presentations, writing. Uh, I, I wrote technical articles for environmental magazines where I would sort of gently highlight the, the value of what we did and, and uh, would sort of put links to it. And you would just try and add as much values. I mean, the number of times I was at, at booths, at conferences, you know, with a little uh, a little jar, which we would take people's business cards and we would, uh, you know, give them a, a prize uh, back then. I don't know. It was some sort of Zen player, I think. But but we'd give them sort of a prize in return for their business card. And then you'd, you'd, you'd email them and you'd call them and, and you'd, you'd do presentations. So the creation of the software was a third to a quarter of the amount of time that you spend promoting it. And having the best doesn't mean anything. 
know, inventing Ethernet doesn't get you the mansion. Spending years on the road, which because you know, lots of people love to invent things in their basement. That's great. We've all done that kind of stuff. We've had great ideas and invented things in our basement. That's not what gets you. But how many people are willing to spend years actually just promoting the living crap out of things, right? Uh, and that that is the big difference. So sorry for the you know, sort of long speech here, but that's why I keep coming back to, hey, I, I'm I'm thrilled that the technology can produce it can process a bajillion transactions a second. But that's not you know software doesn't get up and walk itself out of the door, right? Somebody's got to be pushing like mad. And this is why, like after UPB, I said this just the other day. Uh, you guys went in to have and publish a show. But after I came up with UPB, I, I, I did live speeches on it. I did PowerPoints on it. Uh, I did uh, how to talk to kids about UPB. I just did, I did Q&As, debates about you. Like I did so much to promote it. And, you know, whether well, it was certainly successful in the family realm in terms of kids not getting hit, but uh, didn't take, um, it, it didn't take effect in academia, which I was never expecting it to. But... The promotion, the promotion is is the key, and that's when I think of where I may put my, you know, hard earned or hard saved or hard donated dollars. My question is all around the technology. Yeah, it's necessary but not sufficient. But if people think the technology is going to get up there and and walk itself out into the marketplace, that's never going to happen. And, and you're going to lose every time to the people who are willing to do the evangelizing and and be out there on the road for you know three. I was out on the road for three weeks a month sometimes promoting software. And I mean, I love nothing more than coding, but I was out there in people's faces and talking about it because the code doesn't get up and introduce itself to people. You got to do that for it. So I guess that's why I keep coming back to that question of, okay, but I get the, the Wozniak side. Do we have the Steve Jobs side? And I guess that's my question with uh, Stellar and Ripple as well. I don't think we have either of those yet. I completely agree, right? And I'm kind of approaching this with the kind of the trader mindset of like, I'm just going to watch and I'm going to see what's going on. And it's, you know, because at the same time, you could be out there evangelizing for something that doesn't go anywhere. Um, you know, for Yes, example, but the evangelizing is such a specific skill. Part of evangelizing is like, this is why I was so good at, at the software field, because I knew the technology inside and out. I coded most of it. And I was also, I'm a very good communicator and understand the sort of economics and client value side of it. If you're smart enough to be, to know the technology and be a good evangelizer, I mean, this is the funny thing about being the evangelizer is it, it, you have to be so smart and so technical and so good at communicating and so passionate and so, like, it's a really, really rare skill set. And so people believe evangelizers in part because they know those evangelizers could do just about anything. And if they've chosen this particular thing, it's like, well, why do people go see movies with Brad Pitt or whatever, right? Because Brad Pitt could choose just about any project. So we're going to assume that if Brad Pitt chooses this project, it's probably in line with what he likes to do, which is what people like to watch him do and so on, right? So the evangelist sells because people are, know that they're in the presence of such a valuable and unique skill set that if they've chosen to attach themselves to this, say, ripple, when they could be attaching themselves to anything, then the fact that they have attached themselves to that where they could be doing anything makes people believe in it almost in and of itself, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, it's like you see occasionally these ads for like girlfriends of basketball stars, right? <laughs> now, you know, basketball stars can date just about, what's it, Wilt Chamberlain had like 10,000 women acclaimed to have. Right? So, Basketball stars can date just about anyone, so you never expect to look at the girlfriend of a basketball star 
and see a Jigglypuff, right? Like you're just never going to see somebody who's not very attractive, right? And so that's that's the expectation. And so if you have your pick and choice, whoever you pick and choose is going to be great in terms of attractiveness. And it's the same thing with the evangelists because they could be out there pumping anything and bringing their golden touch to anything if they choose some obscure crypto and people are like, whoa, <laughs> you know, like whoever, and this happened too. Like you saw this with Steve Jobs. He would attach himself to things and people would be like, okay, I'm investing because, <laughs> you know, he could attach himself to anything. So if this is where he's choosing to spend his time, it must be super valuable. At least that's the perception. And it's not, no, it's not particularly wrong in, in many ways. So that's, yeah, that's my question. But of course, a lot of people are, uh, again, it's a lot more fun to work on the technology than it is to go out there and try and get, get the interest of an indifferent crowd. I mean, I remember once, uh, this wasn't me, but um, uh, one of my employees had to give a speech and the room was empty. I mean, <laughs> so he had to get up there. I so shouldn't laugh, uh, but he had to get up there and start giving. And he called me, right? And he was like, the speech is empty. What, like, the room is empty. What should I do? And I said, listen, all you do is, is, I appreciate the question. All you do is you give the speech like it's full of cheering people and people will come in. And so he did. He, you know, you, 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 you just, you like, you're a crazy person. You just go out there and start giving a great speech as if the room is full of thumpy, cheering, happy people ripping their tops off like they're at a Queen concert in 1978. And, and then what happened is people started coming in because it was just an unusual spectacle to see it. And it worked. So, yeah, you need that. Well, I mean, that goes along with if you look at what Elon Musk is doing with Dota, right? Literally tweets about it. Sorry, with what? You, you cut out there with, with what? Do Dogecoin, right? So he tweeted. Uh, what about is that. Elon Musk doing with Dogecoin? Can you? Just, sorry, I may have missed that one. He tweeted about it. And right, he, right. He oh, GameStrong too, right? Yeah, his like CEO yeah. of Dogecoin and those sort of things, right? And you know, pretty much everything he touches, for better or worse, people just seem to pile into because he's got that, you know, that sales, right? He's a salesman. He's got that right. reputation of the Midas yeah. touch, right? And exactly. listen, I mean, the fact that I was very interested in Bitcoin very early on was not, it was not inconsequential to where Bitcoin went. And uh, because, you know, people know that I'm, I'm technical and, and also good at, at communication and, and understand the economics and all that and understand fiat and Austrian economics fairly well. So, yeah. So, I mean, having that golden touch is, is really powerful. And, you know, I would just say this to all the crypto developers out there. Um, you need you need that dude. You know, maybe it's a woman, maybe it's a man. Usually it's a man, but you just you need that guy. And um, a, a lot of what you do isn't probably going to amount to much if you don't have that person. Or maybe you can become that person. I don't know because a lot of coders kind of shy. And um, yeah, you need you know. I did that for philosophy, right? Just just this mad <laughs> commitment and uh, you know standing in the face of the storm and you know roaring barbaric syllogisms to the rooftop of the world. You just you need that that crazed commitment. And uh, if you don't have that, it's really hard to think that it's going to be anything other than a slowly declining graph watching exercise. Shall we move to Ethereum or is there more that you wanted to add about those others? No, um, just Ripple is no longer traded on Coinbase, but you can still buy Stellar and that is trading for, it's like the fourth most popular on Coinbase. And the physical market for that, and by that I mean not just people buying and selling it for speculative purposes, but its actual traction in the exchange of goods and services in the marketplace? Um, well, 
the way to look at this now is it's going to come down to what, um, like typically if it's on Coinbase, most retailers are going to accept it. If that makes sense, because Got whatever okay. these kind of, whatever, which ones these kind of clearing houses pick are the ones that they're able to trade to cash. And at the end of the day, companies are paying their bills in cash and US dollars. And do you know what happened to Ripple that got it delisted? Um, I believe it was a lawsuit. Well, so that'll do it. Um, I, no, sorry, I, I can try somebody else? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Stellar got uh, uh, defined as a, uh, it was a illegal security. And it, uh, that's how it got uh, delisted, essentially. And several exchanges have delisted it. So whenever... Do you know what the mechanics behind that are? Or how does that come about? Uh, so basically what happened was when the people were starting Stellar, and again, this is my, you know, obvious uh, understanding. When the people were starting Stellar and trying to go out and get people to invest in it, they uh, violated SEC uh, definitions and means of doing so. So like Bitcoin didn't have to go and get a fundraising thing because you just ran the software. You know, you didn't invest your money into it. Whereas when Ripple was getting started, they were going out and asking people to invest. Uh, and so in order to process high volumes of transactions, you'd need a lot of hardware, which means capital, right? Um, I mean, there's there's a little more. Uh, uh, technical to that. I mean, it, um, I don't want to comment on that at, uh, at the moment. No, that's uh, we, I was just, I was just curious, and and we don't have to delve into that. I mean, however fascinating that story may be. So, okay, and I appreciate that. Now, um, should we should we shift to Ethereum, which seems to be pretty popular these days? Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm all ears. Okay, so Ethereum. Oh man, I got a got a big dog in this race. It's a uh, my my favorite coin of all. Um, so Ethereum, Ethereum. Why is it different? So uh, compared to Bitcoin, uh, Ethereum allows you the ability to not only store a public ledger of all the transactions, but the unique thing about Ethereum is that it also lets you put code in there. So basically, the network can also execute instructions. And so the entire network also becomes like a giant digital vending machine. Imagine like so, going to sorry, a hotel. So it's kind of like, sorry, it's interrupt, but it's kind of like what I talked about, which I thought Bitcoin was going to develop in back in the day, uh, which it didn't. I think it just became a, a leisure of stored value. But uh, so you can do things like uh, if my obituary shows up in this particular online site, you can transport my Ethereum to so-and-so because that's my will. Like the, It becomes a programmed environment. Is that right? Correct. Correct. Okay, as, are there cool things that, that it can do? Um, when we say programmed environment, people will kind of glaze over, but like in terms of practical things, uh, I guess you can execute buy and sell orders based on price, uh, and, and you can bid things based on price and uh, have triggers and cascades and all these kinds of things. Yeah, so imagine just paying your bill and not having it go through some sort of in intermediary process for, your, let's say, your electricity. As long as you keep paying that bill and sending your money to that specific address, the lights will be on, all completely automated through a contract that can't be changed at all. Once the contract is on the network, you have to be sending your money to a different contract for it to be malicious. So that's that's the beauty of it as well. These contracts are completely immutable and they're validated by everyone else running the machine. So it also doubles as like a global global computer network executes these uh, these contracts. 
And uh, I assume that they're timed and opt-outable, and, and, and I guess there are certain penalties that occur if there's not enough Ethereum to cover the bill, uh, that kind of stuff. Hmm. I think that would depend on the contract. Do you know anything more about I, that? Of course. Uh, I'm not saying what is every, that'd be like saying what's every cell phone contract in the world, but these features could be uh, part of the programming environment. I assume, I mean, cause of course it would be, sorry, you wouldn't, you wouldn't create that and then not allow these things to, to occur because these are the natural vagaries of, of transactions. So, so it is, it oh, yeah. is a programmable environment with um, uh, now how, how interfaceable is that? Is that programming environment? In other words, I assume it's not down at the assembler slash binary level. That there's got to be some interface for you to create uh, these contracts. Is that right? It, uh, it compiles down to, to some sort of bytecode that I have not played with the actual language that it uh, that it uses. I believe. Yeah, it's but I mean, so level. does Windows, right? But but what I mean mm -hmm. is that there's there's a a um, uh, I assume you don't need to hire a a dedicated coder to to create a contract there's got to be some and uh, maybe not even maybe not quite as nice as drag and drop it's but some sort of user interface to define these contracts at a more user-friendly level as of as of now i believe you do have to hire a dedicated coder i don't believe there's any sort of a simple ui to connect things yeah for the most part there's uh there's solidity developers which are focused specifically on, on developing smart contracts and interactions on the ethereum blockchain um, there are a few companies that are trying to create uh, like plug and play, let's say drag and drop uh, uh, solutions. I think Betty Blocks is one of them that's currently working on that. It's like a no code smart contract uh, development platform. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's <laughs> my soul. She soars like an eagle on an updraft. No, that's that's fantastic because it means that if it's still hard to use, but the capability is there, then the value remains potentially quite high, but it's not actualized yet because the user interface isn't there. That's 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 a pretty that's a pretty good time to know know something, right? Mm -hmm. Unless it's not. There was a long pause there, <laughs> in which case, correct me if I'm going astray here. Oh no, that's definitely a good time to to have that skill set under your belt. I mean, we haven't quite reached the level of like uh, WordPress development where. Anybody with uh, you know two extra hours a day can pick it up and build a website. Um, you know, no, you want to you want to invest in Microsoft before Windows, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I got it. I got it. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so do you mind? Anybody? If I sorry, I feel there's a lot more to say about Ethereum, but I don't even know what questions to ask. So feel free to just ramble away. Yeah. Could, do you mind if I I uh, add uh, my experience with Ethereum here? Because I, I I was following Ethereum back in 2013 when it was it was an idea, um, and the the founder's name is is Vitalik Buterin. He uh, he has uh, some uh, notoriety in the Liberty world, like he went to the Free State projects uh, stuff like that. So I, when I've been when looking to evaluate a coin, I'm looking at the people behind it largely. But uh, again, yeah, again, just just from my you know rumor mill opinion, he definitely seems to fall more on the left leaning side of things and. Uh, Ethereum, the community, does seem to be falling more into the more socialist, more left-leaning side of things. And again, my opinion. Uh, uh, when now going back to like the contract stuff, these contracts can like the, the the code is no better than how it's written. So these contracts can have flaws in them. One great big example is back in 2016. Uh, they tried the Ethereum community and and tried to launch the DAO. Uh, organization, DAO. 
And what that was, was it was supposed to be a like a decentralized organization. And they were going to, you know, come together as a community and plan different things, build different things. But it was like kind of like dead on inception because in the contract code and I am I'm someone who invested in this. Uh, not necessarily because I believed in the project, because I just knew at this time, 2016, you could throw money into anything, it would blow up and you could get your money back out really quickly, you know, in an easy game. Um, so what happened was, though, the contract that they built and the way it works is, you know, I send my Ethereum to the contract address and I get so many Dow coins in return, which represent my ownership in the network. And but there was a, a, an error in that contract which was exploited by someone and they essentially for free paid themselves like, you know, virtually infinite, you know, Dow coins. Uh, oh, no, 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 actually, it wasn't infinite Dow coins. They were paying themselves Ethereum out of the, the community pool. Yes, that was that was a bit of a whoopsie. And and it was such a troll the way the guy presented it. He's like, oh, I noticed this. uh this feature to reward, you know, such and such people. And I just want to thank the community so much for being so generous and, and giving all this to me. It's so nice of you, because obviously this was your intention, because before that, the Ethereum oh. community's big thing was the code is law. And he's like, oh, what? So you meant to do this. That's just great. You know, and what hurts most more, the financial loss or the passive aggression in your face? That's, oh, my. Uh... yes, yes. And so now this this was a challenge of the community. So there's two things you can go about this. And this, I'm so glad this came up because like there's the code, and, but the code is no better than the people behind it. It's like the constitution and the people next to it, you know? Well, I don't any care contract, how. right? Any contract. Yes. I mean, I remember, yes. I remember. Yeah, I'm sorry. Just, I just, I, I promise this would be helpful. And I also promise it would be short. So bear with me for a sec. So once I quit a company, I had a non-compete. And of course, I went to a lawyer who looked for loopholes in the non-compete because I didn't want to be locked out of the industry for whatever time it was. And the contract was written, I guess, not by a super great lawyer. There was a loophole and, uh, you know, a way to the races, right? So, yeah, I mean, contracts are not physics, right? They're just the human constructs. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Um, and so all right, this was a challenge to the Ethereum community, because here's what you can do with a blockchain like this. Or with any blockchain, Bitcoin could do this. Uh, you can go back or you can just delete these transactions and essentially hard fork the network and say, we're going to invalidate all of that tra that pr transaction and pretend like it never even happened. And so, so now there's this question in the community. It's like, okay, well, do we keep our integrity by honoring the contract in that way? In that way. I'm not saying that's like overarching the definition of integrity or... Do we um, or, or do we accept that we screwed up and this guy, you know, got our money? Um, That's I mean, a tough call, man. And and there's the immediate gain there of we want our money back. And then there's a long term gain of, you know, live by the sword, by, die by the sword. The contract is law. We're going to abide by it, even with a loss, which builds faith in the community yeah. going forward, but also builds a greater incentive to exploit it. So, yeah, it's tough. Um, and I've actually changed my opinion on it. And I guess yeah, I, I was uh, an investor at the time. So I'm like, well, this guy was obviously malicious. Nobody intended to do this. Uh, you know, this is obviously a, a flaw in the contract. We shouldn't honor it. And hey, that's one of the features of blockchains or potential feature is that we as human beings can correct these things, you know. 
Um, but in, in retrospect, I don't know if that was necessarily the right way to go in the long run for the community. But anyway, so I'm getting into opinion. That doesn't matter. The other um, thing, too, is that if you can claw back a bad contract, the incentive to create better contracts goes down, right? Oops, you know, just because like, it's like back back in the day when I first started, there was no automatic like you sent out your your software and floppy disks. And there was no auto update, right? I mean, Cyberpunk, with their auto updates of Infinity, like they can let out a less quality product because they can update it later. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, you just lower the quality of what there is if you can claw it back later and general chaos could ensue. Great, great point. Yeah. Yep. Quick question. Um, so that is that sorry. the explanation for Ethereum and Ethereum Classic? Is that the hard part? Yes, it is. Uh, thank you for getting to that. That was the, that's where I was going next is so Wait, what? that cause. Yeah, that caused the community to fork because some people didn't agree with that decision. So the Ethereum community in general stayed on. They deleted those old transactions or those transactions that they thought were, you know, wrong. Or and um, and then the Ethereum wait, hang on, classic, hang on, hang on, hang on. Sorry, sorry. Let's go back here for a second. I, this is this is important. I don't mean to interrupt your flow. I mean, so so I mean, the blockchain is the blockchain. What do you mean they deleted? I mean, this is because I know the the the. The Bitcoin one better. It's it's kind of impermeable. Like you send it, you can't pull it back, right? I mean, if I understand it rightly. So, what does that mean? They deleted the old transactions. I mean, they got their money back, or or how did that work? They they pushed an update that you could either accept or not, and if you accepted it, then it would roll back those particular transactions. But it created a new currency in the process. Yes. And this is the classic versus Ethereum current. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And Ethereum is mind blown, mind blown. So please go ahead. This is great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ethereum is actually the fork. Ethereum Classic is the original chain. That's a matter of opinion. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's the conventional wisdom on it. Yeah. Look it up. Fight, fight, <laughs> fight, fight. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'd like to hear more about this. Uh, what is the, the, the battle is? Which is the real Ethereum? Well, the market will define, you know, who's who's got the the branding name, you know, and essentially Ethereum won that one. Yeah, it's already kind of decided. Yep. And same with like Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin Core. Bitcoin Core won the the marketing, and they get to keep the branding, you know. So is it like so? Wait, no, but Bitcoin. Bitcoin Cash is like a parallel. Uh, I guess this would be Ethereum and Ethereum Classic. These are sort of parallel, uh, both tradable, both transactionable, and so on. Uh, sorry, in what way? Um, so oh, if oh, okay. if, no, yeah, yes, sir. Yeah, 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 they're they're essentially trying to do a very similar thing, and and they're just they're copies of each other to a degree, although they they've changed over time to to be more divergent. But yeah, that's kind of a parallel, essentially. Now, does one of them have the architecture which allows you to go back and undo transaction and the other one doesn't? Is that the difference? Or is that, I mean, I'm sure there's more, but is that the main difference? I believe that's a, a feature of blockchains in general is that transactions can be rolled back. So that's what I was saying. Like even Bitcoin could do this. You know, they could decide that they don't want to have, they don't want to honor this. No, And this is actually part of the argument for Bitcoin when Andreas Antonopoulos made back in the day and, and others, I'm sure, that let's say uh, the NSA throws all this hash power on the network and all of a sudden can control control the Bitcoin network. Well, the Bitcoin network is going to notice this new hashing power come online. They're going to know that it's not that it's not coming from someone in the free market. And it's like, okay, all they're going to do 
is roll back the chain and be like, okay, guys, do you want to be on FedCoin or do you want to be on the real Bitcoin chain? And the community. Uh, the I remember, and sorry, I, I remember, I remember seeing him at a conference, like with slow claps, sardonic applause. Oh, congratulations! <laughs> you've just created a whole. You threw a billion dollars of hardware at a, at a fork that nobody's going to follow you on. <laughs> Yay! Good for Amen. you. I just remember him doing that. Okay, so it makes sense. Okay. Yep. Yep. And so any any blockchain can essentially do this. Yeah. Which you know that's it, it's the there's the code and then there's the people and the code is only going to be as good as the people in, in the community. Okay, is there more that we wanted to, or I say we, the royal we, is there more that, that you wanted to talk about? I'm, I, I love this stuff, so, you know, all, all day if, if we need to, but uh, is there more that you want to say or other people want to say about Ethereum? I've got some more thoughts on Ethereum, but I, I do kind of tend to, to monopolize the conversation if somebody wants to jump well, in. So yeah, we'll give a couple of seconds, see if anybody else wants to jump in. Otherwise, you know, go for it. It's a free market of chat, so go for it if you want, but let's give if anybody else wants to jump in. Well, uh, another cool use case of Ethereum that's really started to blow up over the last year or two is uh, non-fungible tokens. So whereas like uh, Ethereum, Bitcoin, these things are fungible, meaning they're divisible into smaller units. Uh, on Ethereum and now on some other blockchains as well, you can do non-fungible tokens. So they're um, typically used for like digital collectibles um, and uh, the, the vast majority of NFTs on Ethereum are art pieces, tradable art pieces. So think of them like... Hey, um, hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> so you've got digital collectibles and then what, RFTs? Well, so please feel NFT. free again, like I'm five years old and, and, and sure. I have to pee. What, uh, what, what does this all mean? Yeah, a non-fungible token. It's a non-divisible token that's a piece of uh, digital property, basically. No, I, I mean, I, I sort of get that, but... A collectible? What what does that mean? Uh, it's just the sort of the prevailing use case right now is um, people will uh, incorporate a, you know an original art piece with the NFT, and then they can uh, sell their art in a digital, uh, like a rare digital form. So like you you can buy a a sense, I guess, a copy of the art, but it's a collectible item because. It's a limited edition is yeah, the way they think of it, have it. Think of it like a lithograph from an original artist. Like it's signed. I'm signed you know, lithograph. Came, okay. Exactly. So you know that. So they say, artist. I'm only going to sell 100 of these blobs of art. I'm sorry to use the word blobs. I'm just thinking digitally, not visually. But I'm going to sell 100 of these blobs of art. And of course, you know, you don't saw the Mona Lisa in half and have half of its value on either side. So it has to be a blob that's all together. I'm only going to sell 100 of these, which I guess could be baked into the Ethereum contract matrix. And... That's okay. I, I got it. I got it. Um, that's that's very interesting. Yeah, but it could be limited edition poetry books, or I guess just about absolutely. anything, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's uh, it's starting to make its way into video games. Like, so, say for instance, uh, you know, you find a rare sword in a in a uh, in a online game. You can uh, then take that and sell it, or potentially bring it into other games. Um, and it's a piece of of property that you own. Uh, it's also being looked at in um, like property deeds and titles um, to oh, copyrights to, for sure, right? I mean, if yeah. you've propagated it first, you did it first, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think that this is one of the most interesting applications of uh, of smart contracts. Um, you know, it's not a currency. Now we're talking about different forms of property, um, and it's actually probably my biggest uh, fascination at the moment in the in this realm. Uh, part of my, my sort of digital brain goes into, okay, so 
entire movies, giant blobs of data having to propagate across a blockchain. Oh, it all slows down. I mean, is, is that, how's that dealt with? Uh, well, you don't necessarily store the uh, the contents of the um, of the NFT on the blockchain. You'll you you can store the contents that people have access to on a you know centralized server. You could store it on IPFS, which is a like a decentralized world server, so to speak. Um, okay, so they're pointers rather than the actual thing itself, right? Precisely, yeah. They're even but you need the, 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 the cryptolope or the, you need the key to, to get into the... Okay, I, I, if exactly. I understand this, there's some crypto key that gets you into these assets uh, that allows you to say it's definitely mine. And Okay, and, and then you can trade those, right? So you can say to someone, I'm tired of this piece of art, uh, I, I'm willing to sell it to you for X amount of Ethereum, and then you can transfer it to someone else, and then they have it and you don't. That's Obviously, that's the way it works, right? Right. That's very interesting. Mm -hmm. So I could, I could do like a... Uh, uh, only a hundred people can ever listen to this podcast, and I could sell that on Ethereum, right? Yeah, you definitely could. So, only fans. That's all I need to say. <laughs> we, 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 perhaps we should talk offline about this, because um, that clearly is my next business fan. And that's the yeah. only thing for me that, by the way, this stuff is the only thing that ever competed with philosophy for me, which was mm -hmm. like, yeah, philosophy is great, but getting into this crypto space you know n knowing how good i am at evangelizing technology boy that could be pretty damn lucrative but i was like no 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 it's a calling and there's lots of people in the crypto space but not so many people in the philosophy space and i think it's anyway so just everybody knows that that was my fork so to speak to use a crypto term that was my sort of big fork my alternative universe was a crypto evangelist and uh i guess owning an island at the bahamas but uh instead i'm uh locked in my house in canada anyway Fine, it's fine. I'm very happy with my choice. <laughs> I am actually, but it wasn't an easy one. Um, but I'd be happy so, to talk with you more about that offline if you ever wanted to. Um, I actually oh, have a couple of ventures in. Absolutely, the listen. Space. I mean, that if 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 I can, I mean, it would be for me a fascinating experiment to see. Okay, um, because I've never I've never charged for shows, right? Um, Maybe I'm terrified to know what the price would be. I don't know, whatever. Right? But uh, I've never charged for shows. It would be really fascinating to do a podcast, throw it out, uh, and figure out how to do this and and just see what went on. Like that, that to me, because I have way more content than I've released. I have literally 500 shows I've never released, and some of them are really great. And... um I just have never quite got round to it. There's not quite the same incentive as as doing shows in the here and now. So, yeah, if, if we could, man, just just give me a ping. That would be that. I, I would be fascinated to explore that. I think that would be really neat. And it it wouldn't be a subtraction from what I do, but it would be an interesting sidebar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll definitely hit you up. Thank you. All right, all right. Um, oh, sorry. Um, and somebody else was uh, either going to jump in or, or jump back in. Just give him a sec. Uh, just, sorry, we just give him a sec in case there is somebody slightly shyer because, you know, we always got to lure the technical people out like squirrels with nuts. Uh, is there anybody else who wanted to jump in? I got something I want to throw in, if, if you don't mind. Yeah, uh, please Jared. do. All right. So something I, I recently found out about Ethereum, which I think is really awesome, is that Ethereum uh, lets you also borrow the network for other sorts of cryptocurrencies. Um, so... I found out recently. Oh, did you that... say borrow the network? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, sorry, go ahead. A, a, a coin is basically 
a cryptocurrency that has its own network. But then there's this other term called a token, which is a cryptocurrency that lives on another network. It doesn't have its own network. Like for instance, uh, the BAT tokens, if any of you have ever used Brave, the basic attention tokens that they give you for looking at ads, those basically- I'd really recommend that, but sorry, just I would really recommend the Brave BAT token system. It's very interesting and a very cool way to fund a tech organization without selling your soul in terms of data. So sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Indeed, no, I, I agree. Uh, so those those uh, BAT uh, or BAT ATM machine BAT tokens. Uh, those tokens basically they live on Ethereum and they use that network basically as a piggyback. And so the neat thing about any other token that lives on the Ethereum network is you could swap them almost instantly in decentralized uh, websites and applications like uh, Uniswap. Uh, that also runs on an Ethereum contract. It's like Ethereum all the way down. It's it's really cool. Happy with stowaways, <laughs> so to speak, right? I mean, you can hijack or piggyback in a sense the network, and it's like, yeah, that's that's totally fine, right? Correct, correct. I thought that was another new aspect of uh, of Ethereum. I mean, to me, the more open, the better. Uh, but that's that tends to be because, I mean. The, the, if you don't allow trucks on your highway, you're not going to make as much money from your highway. So I think the more traffic there is, the more the underlying architecture gets valued, and then the more value Ethereum as a coin has, I assume, right? Yeah, that's why it shot up uh, in early 2018 to the heights that it did at the time, like 1400, was because everybody was building their ICOs on Ethereum. Um, so what now? Their ICOs, the initial coin offerings. Oh, so, see, yeah, I, I got that right after you said it. So yeah, okay, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, so when you started seeing, you know, thousands of new coins come out, uh, the vast majority of them were uh, built on Ethereum using uh, something called ERC-20 contracts. So it allows you to create a contract that you mint another parallel set of tokens on that all run on Ethereum. Yeah, nobody, nobody ever look up sexy Steph coin. Uh, that's yeah. that's an abandoned project for obvious reasons of aging and sagging. Anyway, um, okay, that's great. So is there more that people wanted to add? Uh, sorry, the original fellow um, wanted to come back, but if there's anything else that people wanted to add, uh, that would be great. Uh, I did see someone in, in the comments wanting a uh, clarification, clarification of proof of work versus uh, proof of stake. I think you're better at that, Jared, than I would be. Oh, yeah, yeah. So nobody I, asked me to explain it, which is totally accurate <laughs> and fair. <laughs> okay, um, so proof of work versus proof of stake. And there is actually kind of a third one that I'll, I'll touch on briefly. So um, proof of work is what Bitcoin Core is and, and many other cryptocurrencies where they pick this uh, cryptographic algorithm, this complicated algorithm that's you know machine intensive to solve these problems and... Uh, by by solving these mathematical problems, that's how you se secure the network. Uh, that works uh, by showing that you have to have invested in this process. Like you literally got to burn, burn electricity. You got to organize these capital, you know, your, your capital. You have to be productive in the real world and burn that energy, both your mind and literally, to uh, to to. It's you're proving that that human work was done to solve this network, and that means that. Anyone that wants to try to comp compromise that has to similarly compete and and add a greater amount of work to try to do that. 
And so essentially what happens is, you know, the network can for in the moment, at least, you know, burning a couple thousand dollars worth of effort uh, can make it cost for someone else to try to undo those transactions a, a, a nearly infinite amount, it seems like, or it's actually, you know, millions of millions of millions of dollars to try and lie on the network, essentially, you know, so for a very low, yeah, I, I sort of call this, uh, I call this fraud friction, right, that there yeah. has to be some friction to fraud, uh, I guess, which was not the case with the Ethereum fork that we were talking about earlier, where somebody just exploited it without any particular labor. So yeah, fraud friction is really important because any, you know, they're just a bunch of assholes out there, frankly. The asshole tax of fraud friction is necessary because there are so many people who want something for nothing without any ethics. So sorry, go ahead. Yep, yep. So that's that's proof of work. Okay. And now proof of stake is where what you're doing is you're proving that you have skin in the game. Okay. So it's not as hardware intensive to validate these transactions. But what happens is you run a staking node, and I actually do this, I run a, a staking node for the Tezos uh, uh, blockchain, and you're running your hardware, your machinery, and validating the transactions as they come by, but uh, you have to prove that you have so many of that token on the network. So, and, and that's, that's part of the incentive not to harm the network is that you have this token, but there's some more, there are some added like cryptographic elements that uh, that I don't quite understand that still add for validation or that, that validate the network. And when, when proof of stake came out, people were very skeptical, like, you know, well, this isn't proof of work. You know, how is this, you know, is, is this going to be as secure as Bitcoin, anything like that? And at least in, in, the, uh, in the sense that there's millions, if not trillions of dollars held in staking networks, it is kind of showing that it does offer a comparable kind of security. Um, so uh, Ethereum started out as a proof of work uh, blockchain, and they're actually trying to make the transition to a proof of stake uh, network. So that's, uh, did, did anyone have any questions about the, like as of how I was explaining proof of work versus proof of stake? Did that help clarify things? Is there an analogy from the more physical world that would apply? Oh, you are you are the analogy master. I just that one doesn't come to my mind. <laughs> There's also one more type. Um, it's yeah, that's what I was going to mention. And it's, it's but, a oh, really oh, small, yeah. it's a really small market cap. I think all the coins all together are like two billion dollars. But basically, it's like, do you have physical data storage that you can store these tokens and then you know prove that you basically are storing them. So you could literally just have racks of servers that just have like hard drives that aren't even spinning. And that's the, those are your coins. Right. Okay. I will, I will mull over the analogy. Maybe we'll run over it next time, but, uh, so the, yeah. the, Sorry, the, the, the third option. So there's proof of work and proof of stake, and then there's having like validation nodes. Okay, and that's kind of how Ripple works. It's not quite proof of work or proof of stake. It's you've got these, um, and I, I sure I'm going to get a detail wrong here, so someone please correct me. But you've got these uh, essentially authorities on the network that, when a transaction's getting processed or validated, you know, it's their job to be like, oh, yeah, that's good, that's legit, that's what, that's not, you know, and that's how the network, uh, that's their means of uh, quote unquote securing the network. So. Um, so in some senses, arguably, or some would argue, like things like Ripple or Stellar aren't actually 
blockchains because they're not cryptographically uh, validated block by block in these means. But that again, that gets into kind of opinion uh, both ways. Right. Is there any other so anything else that we wanted to add with regards to Ethereum? Oh yes. Go ahead. <laughs> so, um, so what Ethereum uh, sells itself as largely was like a, a world computer and you know a smart contract platform, um, which means that what the they what they were offering was a Turing complete programming environment, which. Uh, for someone who's not, you know, computer savvy, what Turing complete means is that you've got enough programmability in the language to basically code or write whatever you want, you know, given enough effort, essentially. Um, and so Ethereum is one of many uh, platforms that offer this environment, these these smart contract networks. Uh, so it's so now what's happened is it's not that you can go to one coin for these particular things. It's that many coins are offering this, including the NFTs, including decentralized finance, smart contract, to uh, smart contracts, tokenizing, offering tokens, offering uh, stable coins, which is something that hasn't been mentioned. Essentially, a stable coin is let's say I want people to be able to transact uh, U.S. dollars on my network you know, or in a way transact US dollars on my network using complicated financial means, I can set up a smart contract that automatically trades assets to keep this token worth one US dollar. So now we can transact, you know, th through this digital token, some kind of fiat or whatever you want and keep it relative to what the market values this token. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, I get it. I get it. Uh, so it's uh, they're smart. That's contract. sort of the function of gold, right? I mean, the function of gold is is well, I mean, whether the, the degree to which fiat actually represents value in the real world, I mean, that's obviously pretty pretty uh, sketchy. But uh, at least if you want to have future predictability about the value in dollars, uh, if you've got a thousand dollar bill in a month, do you want to transact something now? You want to make sure that it hasn't gone up or down by too much. It's a way, I guess, of hedging future value by saying, however we settled this, it's still going to equal a thousand bucks. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's great. That's very helpful. And it's something that even the dollar doesn't provide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. And, and so also uh, these tokens that exist on one network, okay, they can migrate and move from one network to the other. So right now, like Ethereum is going through a similar growing pains that Bitcoin did, and their network fees are going up and their network is getting bogged down. Uh, and so there are some developers who are moving to other networks where the transaction fees are a lot cheaper to actually process, you know, what they're trying to do. Um, and so well, just I think because that's, right. that's an important point too to remember that that cryptocurrencies are an ecosystem. It's not yes. like one thing or another with these big giant silos that that uh, particularly uh, value can shift between the two, which is good. Because, as you say, if Ethereum's getting too clogged down and slow, people would go to somewhere else, which, again, starts to raise the value. If they're stuck on Ethereum, the value of Ethereum will go down unless there are off-ramps to other digital currencies to take the load off while they upgrade. Yep. And, so, and like if I were a developer, I would want to be writing my idea in such a way that it's network independent. Either I've got my own or I can, you know, jump from one network to the next, you know, depending on my needs or potentially. And it's, there's people that do this. There's projects that do this. You can offer on both networks or multiple and, and interchange between each other. 
that's great that's great okay now i i don't know about how you guys i have a certain amount of cup runneth over with regards to knowledge because what happens is i take the new stuff and forget the earlier stuff so whether that's an aging <laughs> thing or just me uh i i feel full of knowledge and i hugely listen first of all massive appreciation to you guys coming in and sharing your expertise that's very valuable to us as a community. I really, really appreciate that. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Um, if if other people are not full, maybe maybe I've, I've got a small cup, but if other people are not full, that's that's great. We, we will definitely keep this conversation going if other people are willing to. But uh, I just want to say from my standpoint, I think I noticed myself starting to gap out at the end, like, hmm, am I hungry? Do I need a coffee? And, and that's <laughs> not because you guys aren't telling fascinating things. You, you certainly are. It's just that that's my usual indication that I'm, uh, I've hit my max, max learning moment. So uh, it, it would, if it's okay with you, I'll, I'll close it down now. But I really, really do appreciate, appreciate, appreciate this community discussion. Uh, I think it's going to be progressively, um, I guess that's a double meaning of the word, progressively more important as, as we move forward. And, and thank you, everyone, so, so much for uh dropping by these these conversations it's it's incredibly valuable to me and and I, i'm sure for other people as well thank you so, so much steph thanks Emil, guys take care we'll talk soon